Blog Talk Radio. It's the Gridiron Studs Show and the promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Talamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad with your breakfast toast. Calamino, it's the Gridiron Stud Show on this January 11th, 2016. It's National Championship Day. Amo, are you excited? Uh, you mean like over overjoyed? No. My team's not playing, so I don't get like that. But I am excited to see the game. I think it's going to be a really oh, good game. Man, I thought you were a college football fan. My bad. Yeah. But I, I'm excited. No, I want to see the game. I mean, I think it's. I I think this game's going to be a lot better. Um, well, we'll save it for the pick section. But uh, let's suffice yeah, to say, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, about to lock yourself into something there right now. Coming up on the show, we will be uh, talking in depth about this college football championship game matchup. It's Clemson. It's Alabama for all the marbles in the second year of a college football playoff. We'll also be recapping the wild card weekend, which was indeed wild uh, for both the AFC and the NFC. We'll be doing that here in the next hour. If you want to reach us on the Gridiron Stud Show today, feel free to give us a call. The number is 347-633-9365. We always do enjoy your feedback, questions, etc. Don't be afraid to give us a call. Again, it's 347 633 or reach us on Twitter with your comments can't get to the phone that is at gridiron studs or uh you can also follow us on twitter that's at gridiron studs and that is e calamino am i correct on that that is correct it doesn't get easier than that really it's like the horse palomino with a c and just put an e in front of it e calamino that's simple e calamino at uh e, at e calamino on twitter follow him he might say something interesting every now and then or something that'll piss you off. Hey, you know, you know, I'm in this. You know, I go through this uh, cycle every year because you know the the end of football season for me means I'm going to have a. My wife calls it my annual depression. Matter of fact, I'm coming down to see you this year because I need to get away from the Northeast when it turns gray. Uh, football season ends at you know February, beginning of February, usually the first or second day of the month, and then you've got about six weeks up here in the Northeast of cold gray. Weather now this year we've had unusually nice weather, but generally speaking, okay. So right. usually at this time of year, I'm saying to myself, "Well, football's over," mm-hmm. and I'm a big baseball fan like you, so I've got you know a good six weeks before I start to care about baseball. The middle of March, maybe, so right. I gotta find something to do. Never did I think that you and I would have a conversation where our schools, our basketball schools, I'm looking at the ESPN, BPI. Miami of Florida is third in the country, according to them. They're 13-1. and one, And my Trojans are 20th. They're 14-3. and three. There you go. Uh, a changing of things, I suppose. But we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I don't know. Which one of these teams do you think get back 
to where they are. Uh, and I'm, I realize I'm asking a USC fan this, but uh, which one of these two teams do you think get back to a national championship game faster? I don't know. About, let's put it this way. I think they're both going to turn it around. I, I really do. Um, you know, I just – well, let me take Miami first. I think there's just, number one, too much talent in that part of the country. And I know we've talked about at length on the show how they're not getting all of it like they used to or as much of it. They're still getting enough of it. I, I, I think this I, Rick may not be necessarily the guy to win a championship, but I think he'll point them in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. at least get the program organized and on a good track. I mean, like you said, who knows how long he really wants to stay there. You know, I mean, right. this may be one of those, hey, he gets there, he starts to like it and figures, you know what, I'm done with this coaching. But I do think he's a good enough coach that he'll get the the program headed in the right direction, and I think they're in a great conference to come back. I, I really do because, it, you, you know, you take a look. Pardon? What did you say? I said, I think they're in a great conference to come back in. I mean, okay, you got Florida State, you got Clemson. You know, I mean, Miami should generally be in that mix every year if they're, if yeah, they're Miami. Know, man, that's where I disagree with you. I just think in the ACC, the margin for error is just so slim. If you don't go undefeated, you're not getting into this thing. Just not. There, so okay, uh, in that sense, I, I agree with you. You got a problem. In that sense, I agree with you, but I also think your chances – of going undefeated are are pretty good. If you if you do some creative out of conference scheduling where you could put throw some power five teams in there, but ones that generally aren't going to beat you, okay, then you get to ACC play. If Miami's Miami, really their season every year should come down to three games: Florida State, Clemson, and whoever happens to be a surprise that year from the rest of them. Because every year there's going to be a team like a North Carolina that steps up and has a decent year, you know, or some other team. So, you know, while I agree. You can't lose in the ACC. That makes it hard. But I also think Miami, if they're Miami, could be one of those teams like a Florida State that runs the table in the ACC. I'm going to do a little bit of research into this and just really try and wrap my mind around this. I am wondering, um, and I understand all you know some of the reasons, some of the reasons why you joined the conference. I'm just wondering if Miami was still doing the thing that Notre Dame is doing. Uh, in terms of being an independent, would would things be better for them? You know, no, I, I disagree. I think it's very. I think it's virtually. I think the only reason Notre Dame is ever mentioned in this conversation when they're not undefeated is because they're Notre Dame. If Notre Dame fields the team, we put them in the top twenty. Okay, so they're Notre Dame. I mean, so. So you think Miami would just be hated on? You think if Miami was an eleven and one team, people yes. would be looking for yes. a reason to keep them out? Yes, we would get the terms drug, drugged up like bunch of thugs. Uh, don't play in a conference. Uh, yeah, yeah. Notre Dame just hey, gets in it because out, Emil, all right. You call them all those things. Yeah, those are the little terms you throw out. But you, but you want to see them. I'm just wondering if we could have put together a schedule where we pick and choose. We could go play. We could go play Arizona. We could go play USC. We can go play Notre Dame, and we can have a game against Clemson and then put together some other games that are not quite so high profile. Maybe you threw a Houston in there. We put a schedule together like that. Would we garner uh, a lot more respect at the end of the year, um, even with one loss in there, than, you know, you lost a game somewhere in in the ACC or, you know what, you lost an out-of-conference game, but then you went and ran through the a, a weak ACC 
and no one really wants to put you in the top four at the end of the year because they just don't respect your opponents in the ACC. I see where you're going, and I think you have some valid points that would need to be researched. But where I think this is ultimately going, I guess I'm trying to look down the road a little. I, I do think where this finally settles, and I'm not saying next year or the year after. I think in short order what's going to happen is as conferences get screwed out, you're going to end up with that 18 playoff. I think the, the power five conferences are going to push and say all our champions should be in this thing automatically. So if that's the case, I think winning a winning a championship is always your easiest way to get into this. Now, in your scenario, you would be you put yourself in that pool if that if I'm right of those three teams every year hoping to be an at large. I just think it's a hard road. I think being in a conference helps you in a lot of ways. You know, you can recruit to the conference. In other words, you know, you have your teams. You know, you have to beat every year, and you can gear your recruiting that way. It helps you. I think when you're playing one of those schedules. That's an advantage for Miami at all. I just, outside of Clemson and Florida State, there is nothing to get excited about if you're a University of Miami in terms of scheduling uh, in in the ACC conference. Zero. Hey, I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. Well, I'm sorry. You think that that conference, listen, we've talked about it. I understand. If If I lived in Miami and I was a Miami fan, I can't blame your fan base. I really can't. I mean, I feel bad for the kids, but I can't blame your fan base for not showing up when Virginia rolls into town. i got to mm-hmm. tell you, that doesn't yeah, excite Virginia, Wake Forest, NC State, North Carolina, even when they're doing well, doesn't excite you. I don't think we would have filled the stadium up for North Carolina this year, despite how well they did. Just not something that's going to excite these people down here. So if it's not Clemson, which – by the way, we were doing bad. By the way, we didn't fill that stadium for Clemson. We filled a stadium for Florida State. You know why, Emil? You can answer that. Why? Why? Because people give a damn about playing those teams. What do you mean, yeah, why? Half the damn stadium nowadays is Florida State fans because there are a ton that, of them. Well, yeah, yes, that's, that's partially, yeah, yes. But, you know, the, the other thing is, Fans will say, to, you know, you always get the wise guy who sends you a note and says, well, you know, you say you can't get excited about Virginia. Your team played Virginia. It's different. If USC's playing Virginia in September, I'm excited because it's a new season. If they played them in the middle of October in conference play, I'd yawn. Of course, because by then they've already resigned themselves to here we go again. We suck, and their record probably shows that. So no one's going to pile into the Coliseum to see that, okay? So now, let me answer the back half of that question. I also think – USC will, will will get this to listen. I watch the draft like you every year, and so do many of the uh, most of the people listening to this show. You still see USC cranking out players. So to me, the talent never left. It's just about to getting that mindset again. And I think the biggest thing for them, and they got close to it at the end of the year, and then they kind of ran out of gas in that championship game against Stanford. Um, I think they got to get back to being what you know you and I have said. They have to be USC, which means. Everything is based off that power running game, physical linemen. They fired the offensive line coach. I'm very glad about that because Sarkeesian brought in some guy named Conley from Oklahoma State running those spread offenses. That's not USC football. I want mean, big, physical linemen. USC linemen typically used to look like Alabama linemen. Uh, I don't want guys that are fat and out of shape and, you know, they want they want guys that can pull. I want guys that just hammer people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I know that. 
you want some physicality and because that's what they bring to the conference and when they were doing that and doing it well they uh, owned the Pac-12 so I I know you're looking and forward I, to it. Listen, the, the jury's out. I know your feelings and mine. We might not totally agree. But, but for me, at least, I think Helton goes in with that mindset. Now, whether he follows through on it and coaches to it, we'll see next year. But I think he has the mindset of understanding what USC is supposed to look like. He's bringing back Clancy Pendergrass, an NFL coordinator, uh, an NFL caliber coach. He coached there for a season. In 2013, for some godforsaken reason, when Kiffin left, uh, Sarkeesian did not retain him. USC's defense was number one in the Pac-12 the one year that Pendergrass was there. He's coming back. To me, that's good news because you've got to play defense. We've talked about that. And I feel that way for Miami, too. Miami, the one thing they've gotten away from over the years, you know, they were a defensive team. I mean, you know, Miami hit you. They stopped you. You knew it was going to be tough to play Miami. I always felt a Miami game was going to be the way an Alabama game is now. It's going to be tough moving the football. Sure. And sure, uh, to exactly. me, they, they have to get back to that as well. And, uh, but hey, I think staying, both schools staying will. In Miami, Abel, staying in Miami, um, while we weren't looking, it seemed the Dolphins hired like a head coach, like snuck them right in through the back door. <laughs> Stealth, right? In the middle of the night, they got the the offensive coordinator from the Bears, and there was all these glowing things I read in my Yahoo feed about what a great job he did. So I'm thinking to myself, did I miss the Bears season or something? Because weren't they like 6-10 and 10 or something like that? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's like you walked into a fast food restaurant and there was no one there at the counter and you – you uh, look down, to, I don't know, tie your shoe or, you know, get your wallet. And when you look back up, there was a guy there at the counter uh, by the register ready to take your order. So that's how the Miami Dolphins hired a new head coach. You know what, Amo? I'm not going to be down on this. Um, I'm going to give this guy the benefit. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I have no reason to. I have no reason to do anything like that with the front office of the Miami Dolphins or with the head man of the Miami Dolphins. But this it's so off the radar that maybe it will just work. How about that? I'll just do that. Well, okay, he was the offensive coordinator from the Bears, so I'm not going to blame him for the Bears' record because obviously, you know, he didn't he didn't coach the other two phases. That said, the Bears' offense was 23rd in the league in points scored, right above the Baltimore Ravens, who played much of the season with a second and third string quarterback. I love it, Abel. It's so bizarre. Maybe it worked. <laughs> uh, you know what? At this point, I might be happy just to get a new coach. Um, if I so so, you know what? Like if if the Cowboys hired anybody at this point, just for a change of pace, I might be happy. So I can't argue with it. Hey, it's something different. Give it a how shot. Do get, how do you get rid of an owner in professional sports, the NFL specifically? Well, you, if you if you and I can somehow combine our resources and buy, hit that Powerball Wednesday, maybe we can scrape together enough money and buy the team. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's just if this is if this hire is a disaster, okay. If it's a disaster, that is, um, he, this guy's got to sell the squad. He's got to sell the team, man. Sell the franchise. Go do what it is. Like, do you know how many coaches they've had? I I read this and I I want to say it's either it's either nine or ten in the last eleven years. I mean that in quarterbacks just can't get it right at all. Is there a well, there is something, you know, there is, I'm being funny here, kind of kidding around about, you know, there is something to be said about just not getting rid of the coach. I mean, you know, that that's always the knee-jerk reaction of, of fans. You know, team has bad season, let's fire the coach. But we've talked about that. 
you better be damn sure you're firing a guy who can't coach because at the, at the end of the day, when you start changing coaches, everything changes. You usually set yourself back a little bit. You got new personnel, you got new schemes. So you know, most of the time, current personnel won't fit all the schemes. So so you just, I don't know. It, it, Samuel, it's a quick there's fix. One, like there's one constant here. At this point, what's that? You're changing coaches, changing coaches, changing general managers, and one constant. It's the same owner. I mean, there's your problem oh, hey, at this point. You're preaching to the choir. I mean, listen, I've been, I can't figure out Miami's problems. I've been trying to fire an owner now for 10 years. Okay. <laughs> I got my own set of issues. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this one's got to work. It's got to work. Emil, it's just got to work. I'm sitting here looking at the Dolphins' history. And um, Dave Wanstead, eleven and five, eleven and five, nine and seven, ten and six, gone. Now you know he was a bit. Honestly, that's the best run for the Miami Dolphins since since the early nineties. I mean, it was better than what Johnson did. Now, granted, Wanstead, yeah, he was taking a step back in that year uh, that he was let go, and then there was an interim coach. But good grief. When I look at what's happened past the guy, uh, he's looking like he's looking like Lombardi right now. When you go through this whole conference deal, I mean, he put together three double-digit win seasons since Dave Want since Mustache. Okay, the stash has left. There's only been one double-digit win season for the Miami Dolphins, and that was in 2008, which directly followed their worst season in franchise history in which they went one and 15 tony sperano got that since then the dolphins have have not okay have only gone um over the mendoza line once and well twice if you count that double digit win season and the rest has just been tragic i mean I, this has to work or i don't know what else to do you know what happens to the fan bases you know and the dolphins are are a classic they get spoiled. You know, do you remember when Shula was there, obviously the Dolphins came into the league, I think it was 66. So they had some immediate success. They made the Super Bowl. Uh, they lost the AFC Championship game in 1970. They lost the Super Bowl in 71. Then they had those two magical years back-to-back. And, you know, you're eight years into a franchise. You've already been to, uh, you know, four AFC title games, three Super Bowls, and you have two championships. And then they continue that, that trend of the next 20 years that he's there always being in the mix, whether it's losing the AFC Championship game or getting beaten in a divisional round, but winning division titles, being in the mix. But that's not good enough for fans. See, fans don't realize, most of most fans, only one team wins the whole thing. And that's so, so it's a needle in the haystack every year. If your team's in the mix every year, as a fan, you're getting entertained. You should be happy because that means every year you got a chance to win a championship. Shula gave them that. I think the franchise assumed that that's how life is supposed to work, that every year you're supposed to be in the mix. So when he left, you know, they, they probably parted ways with some guys that if they, if they hung in there may have had a lot more success. But like you, you pointed out once that, listen, I've never been a huge fan of his, but the record speaks for itself. I mean, you just read off, what, 11 11-5, 11-5, 10-6, 9-7. What's that add up to? I mean, basically the guy's going – Ten and six or better on average every year. It adds up to a hell of a lot better than anything that's gone on for uh, over a decade here for the Miami Dolphins. So, Miami Dolphin fans, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. I'm just, I'm just uh, sitting here waiting. It's so bizarre. 
It's so off the wall that I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm concussed. Maybe this thing will just work. All right, we'll see. You know, uh, that's yeah. We after the, you know, I'm sure you're going to a break because then we've got to get into the, some of these playoff games because there was a lot to talk about, especially that game on Saturday. Uh yeah, plenty to talk about there. Uh, and we'll save the uh, college football championship game talk for the final segment. So we're going to head into our recap of the wildest wild card weekend in a long time. We're going to do that when we return from the break. You folks, stay tuned. Aiming alive, be right back right after this. paperwork, you need an MVP on your team. And that MVP is MVP Business Concierge Services. They know that sometimes paperwork can get in between you and your customers. Why not spend the time doing what it is you do best? Getting new customers, handling the ones that you have now, and while you're doing that, you can have an MVP working for you. We know that tax season is the busiest time of the year for business owners. No more missing deadlines and getting IRS penalties for late filing. MVP Business Concierge Services will do all the hard work for you. They will streamline your payroll, streamline your finances, and have you on track. With trustworthy advisors that are very reliable, they will take the hard work away from you and get you back into what it is you're doing best. How do you get this MVP on your team? You call right now, 844-696-8722, 844-MY-MVP-CC, or send an email to info at mymvp.cc and get an MVP on your team today. watching the first one but see, I, I didn't know the back the backstory i was under the impression that it was actually a series with acting and stuff like that i didn't realize it was basically a documentary so yeah. after i got about halfway through the first show i said if i wanted to watch a documentary i'd do what i normally do i turn on nat geo or discovery or history channel and i said oh, that's not for me today i just wasn't yeah. in the mood no i went in there and said you know what? let me let me let me jump on this thing and uh give give it a chance because i had that same feeling to you while i'm not opposed to documentaries i actually really really like them if they're done me well, too something interesting to me so I, I you know i started watching it giving it a chance started off slow a little bit and then amo i couldn't Stop watching this thing. So my daughter and I on uh, Friday night into well into Saturday morning stayed up watching. I, I swear to you, this is what Netflix. This is the crack cocaine that Netflix uh, Netflix is. 
Uh, funny that I said crack cocaine and then Netflix. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Netflix. Yeah, you don't want to go there. No, no. Sorry for you folks out there or anyone with a drug habit, and I might have triggered you to go take a hit. Um, you'll watch a show, and they'll hit you, and it's a series. So they'll hit you with a cliffhanger at the end, and then there's a 10-second countdown until they're starting the next one for you. So if you can't find a remote or, or you know, you can't get your act together, and that next one starts, you're on. You're on. It starts. You're in there. And, Emil, I went... Six episodes in, that's six hours. We started kind of late in the night, well into the morning. We watched this thing and couldn't put it down until finally I said, I don't know, about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever. I said, hey, all right, we got to cut this because I got to get up in the morning anyway. We had our big South Do you watch, like, uh, do you watch shows generally? Like, I'll tell you a show I'm surprised that you don't watch if you don't because I think you'd like it because you like politics too. Mm-hmm. Is that House of Cards with Kevin Spacey? You know, I never really got into it. I think at the time people were telling me to watch the show, I was too... I can't do a bunch of shows. Um, I got a whole lot going on. I do like... That's how I am. One at a time, my wife and I, though, were like... We were like crack addicts on that thing. We'll watch a whole season. It usually gets released in February. We'll be done in a week or less. It's it's actually terrible because then we're depressed. I'll definitely binge watch. I think what I had going on when someone suggested House of Cards to me... I was binge watching. Um, what was the show? What What was the show that was on on uh, AMC with the guy that made the? That, I don't know why I'm forgetting it right now. That was uh, the meth the meth guy. Oh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. I was in the middle of that, so I couldn't I couldn't jump out of that and take on House of Cards. Nevertheless, I watched this show into this series up until four o'clock in the morning. And then finally cut it loose and then had to get back up early. So I was on, on low sleep. By the way, watching this Making a Murder has me questioning a lot of things as it has to do with respect to law enforcement. We could probably get into that on a later show. So I'm setting you up telling you to say this. Uh, I went and spent the whole Saturday morning and into the afternoon uh, doing the tryouts for the South Florida Express 7-on-7 team, like the, the most notable 7-on-7 team in the country. So we're doing those tryouts. I get home. I'm free. I'm through. I'm three sheets to the win. I'm trying to watch the Cincinnati Pittsburgh game. It was a yawner. They couldn't generate any offense in that terrible weather. So uh, I doze off on the game. I mean, quite frankly, fell unconscious. And it seems, Amel, I missed the best part of this game, which was all the shenanigans and and sideshows that went on at the end. So I'm going to kind of rely on you because I haven't had a chance. I to- knew that you were going somewhere that was embarrassing there. I didn't know. I said, geez, he's taking me through Netflix on a football show, which yeah, I don't I, mind. I, I kind of like that. But I said, this has to be going like, somewhere. Yeah, I did the old man grandpa thing. I used to get pissed at my dad when we were watching a game together, and he'd get on that recliner, and I'd turn around, and dude's passed out sleep. So I was my dad on Saturday night. That's exactly what happened. Fell out, didn't come back. I didn't come back. Well, I can't actually blame you because the first three quarters of that game, you were sitting there saying to yourself, "Why?" Your question, I was questioning myself, like, why am I still watching this game? Um, I, I had no confidence the Bengals were ever going to score. And then, lo and behold, the Bengals find a way to start generating offense. Mm. And before you know it, A.J. McCarron is dialing up his Alabama days. He's throwing the ball to Chad Green, which, by the way, I would do more often than they had done. I mean, I just throw the ball up. There's certain guys in this league that, you know what, I don't care if there's two guys on them. I'm throwing X number of balls at this guy every game regardless. And, Ch- and A.J. Green's one of them, okay? Oh, you got to. 
You have to. Yeah, I mean, he just goes up and beasts a couple of balls away, and before you know it, the Bengals are up 16-15. Landry Jones is in the game because Ben Roethlisberger, you know, he's, he's basically got a separated shoulder, and well, I did see he that. throws a pick. I did see that play, so... You saw um, the separate shoulder. The time when the, the eyelids just got real heavy. After Burfecht, and I guess we could talk about him, after Burfecht put him down on the turf and hurt his shoulder, I think that's, that might the be... The Burfecht hit, by the way, was completely legal. I mean, uh, the, the hit on, on Roethlisberger was not... A, I mean, I don't even no, know how no, any the announcers no. could bring up... He didn't spike him or anything. All he did is, hey, he let him know he was there. I mean, he hit him, form tackle... Took him to the ground. He didn't pick him up and pile drive him, right? You saw it. Yeah, no, nothing dirty about it. Perfectly legal play. Uh, ben took a, I mean, chose a wrong exit from the pressure, and he happened to spin into him, and then took him down the way he was supposed to. You know, folks could be pissed about it because it lo- it came right on the uh, heels of some other stuff that was going on. There's just so much bad blood between these two teams. I do think people might be overreacting, though, because, Emil, you and I grew up in that time with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Oakland Raiders. They hated each other, and there were plenty of teams like that, Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys. I've seen a whole bunch of, you know, stuff in my day. So, I may, in my opinion, people may be overreacting. This stuff has happened in the league. There's just teams that don't like each other, and stuff like this happens. Would you like? I to think, to some extent, people and myself overreacted because that one thing I, I, I've – tried to do in this game I didn't do it is a lot of these games lately I've been turning off the the volume I mean I don't really there's nothing they're going to tell me I don't want to sound arrogant here there's nothing they're going to tell me during a broadcast that I really need to hear that I probably don't already know I'm serious right so a lot of times I'll turn it off to not let it affect or infect whatever way you want to look at it my view of the game right um I think the perfect hit on Roethlisberger was Chris Collinsworth and being the goof that he is uh, saying, well, you know, I don't think it was you, Chris. You played football. There was nothing illegal about that hit. It was a form tag. Matter of fact, it reminded me a lot of the hit that broke Romo's collarbone. He just mm-hmm. spun the wrong way into the pressure. Guy caught him. Weight comes down. And in this case, it's not a collarbone. It's a shoulder. Okay. It right. happens. It's one of the risks of playing quarterback. Um, what I thought was funny, and again, this goes back to the '70s. If this happened in the '70s, we wouldn't even think about it. But mm-hmm. by today's standard, the, the refs missed a key penalty in that game. The, the hit Shazier uh, put on, on the running back was definitely illegal by today's standards. Now, is, do I think it was a bad play? No. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Emil. I kind of, I, I kind of side with what, uh, and I forget which referee it was, that was the sit-in ref now. Like Gary? That, we had that in these games now. A ref is a part of. The, uh, the, the yeah, I think Mike. I think Mike Carey has a bourbon in his hand when he, when he's when he's giving opinions. I mean, I've listened to some things <laughs> Mike Carey says. Well, the whole deal is this, and maybe I'm just too much of a defensive guy, but the running back, uh, Gio Bernard, caught football, turned up field. He's a runner now, uh, so yep. Yep. you know. He's not a defenseless player. No, and no, no, no. I'm not calling defenseless. Go watch the hit again. It was nothing defenseless about it. I'm not saying that. What, it crown to, it's, Yes, he, there was helmet to helmet. He hit him right on the chin. Matter of fact, you know, if you look at it, I don't even – defenseless did not even come into my mind why Mike Carey was going That's to defenseless. That's the only time you get that penalty, though, leading with the crown and the helmet. You, you, can, you can't hit. You can't. You can't make helmet to helmet contact. Period. Though, doesn't matter what you love with. I got to see that you, rule. I don't know that to be a rule, Emil. 
Okay. Okay. There's no way in hell you're going to play a football game and not make helmet-to-helmet contact with a guy that has a football in his hand. Matter of fact, I just remember I remember my first year playing football at all, um, and there was a guy on the team, and it was just my luck. Every time we had a hitting drill, it was me and this guy, and he was, you know, kind of built low to the ground. And for all that I could try, there, I could just not avoid helmet-to-helmet contact with this guy and the headache that came with it. I mean, I almost quit football that first year. Um, these were guys that had been playing football for six years, believe it or not, by the time I played. And so they were all knee-deep in the whole physical part of this thing. And I'm telling you, I don't know how many times we went together in a hit drill, 30, 40, 50 times during the year, could not avoid the helmet-to-helmet contact with him. No way, no how. So in a football game, that's just going to happen. I think. Okay, well, let's not get lost in that. I think I think that that, that hit, though, really ticked off the Bengals. And then you, as you it's hard to watch. If you're a Bengals fan or if you're a Gio Bernard fan, yeah, hard to watch. But I mean, the guy just got—he got hit. I mean, he got yeah, hit. Yeah, and I think what I think what happened there. Then you got perfect hitting Roethlisberger, which I'm not sure. Like I said, you know, he wanted to let him know he was there, but there was no intent like to body slam him. But then that ticked off the Steelers, and it just went downhill. It wasn't going to take much to take off either side. Uh, you remember the last game of the regular season between these two teams. It popped off before the game even started. So um, that's just what you got going on between these two teams right now. And I think a whole lot of that stems from the Cincinnati Bengals um, becoming a team worth a damn in, in that conference, in that division, and uh, being able to put up a suitable challenge to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who's, who've, been, who've been the best team or one of the best teams in that division each and every year. So, But you know um, what? I've said this for a long time. If the Ravens were good, I think they'd be fighting with the Cincinnati Bengals, too. It's about territory. Well, sure, but but I've also said at the end of that game, let's go to the end of the game, okay? Because let's catch everybody up if you didn't see it. The Bengals took the lead. Pardon me, you're cutting out on me. I, I said you'll have to help me with the end of that game because, remember, I was unconscious. Right, I'm, and I'm going to take you there. It was 16-15. Cincinnati had the lead. Landry Jones is in the game. There's about a minute and a half left. Very first play from scrimmage. Who intercepts it but Burfitt? He intercepts Jones. The Bengals are in business. They're on the Steeler 20-yard line or right about there. It looks like the game is over. Now, they're, they're up by one. There's a four po- uh, they're, they're up by one. There's three timeouts for the Steelers. Now, let me explain to you where I'm going to take you, and you tell me why you disagree. Mm-hmm. The, the very first play, they hand the ball to Hill. Mm-hmm. He fumbles. Steelers get the ball back. They have all three timeouts left. Now, first of all, at this point, nobody knows that Roethlisberger is even going to be able to come back in the game. But you must assume, since he's not in the game, his shoulder's injured. Landry Jones has shown you no indication that he could throw a forward pass beyond 10 yards and complete it. Right. If I'm the Bengals... Why am I even running the ball? Think about this. The only point of running the ball at that point is not to score a touchdown, to get them to burn their timeouts because a touchdown, if he rolls through the line scores a touchdown, they're up eight, and the Steelers still have all their timeouts left. They could conceivably tie the game. If I'm the Bengals, I want to burn the timeouts, kick a field goal, have a four-point lead, and make the Steelers go 80 yards with no timeouts and a quarterback who can't throw the ball beyond 10 to 15 yards. That's the game. I mean, a bit of a bit of Monday morning quarterbacking, but sure, uh, makes sense. 
I said no. it on my couch out loud, and I, I swear to you, I did. I said, kneel the ball. I said, just kneel the freaking ball and kick the field goal because the Steelers, you could tell that they were – Landry Jones was completely lost. The Bengals' defense was playing great. And when they brought Roethlisberger in, you could see that all he could throw was a check down. His shoulder was gone. So they don't do that. He'll fumbles. The Steelers are in business. They got three timeouts. I'll trot Roethlisberger because he figures if I'm going down – I'm not. I'm not. If I'm going out this year, I'm not going out with Landry Jones. So he comes in. All he can do is throw passes to the running backs. He gets the ball up to maybe the 50-yard line on a completion. They're, they're out of timeouts, I believe, or they might have had one left. They're on the 48-yard line. The next play, he throws like a seam route, maybe 13 to 15 yards down the field to Antonio Brown. And Burfick comes in and does, I have to say, it was just a dumb play. I understand football is violent. I understand things happen fast. But sure. he just went for the guy's head. Mm-hmm. And to me, at that point in the ball game, you got to be smarter than that. I mean, this is the playoffs. I mean, you're not even losing a regular season game. You're going home. Yeah, and, well, personal interest seemed to have taken over and from what I've heard about, you know, about that game, so. Right, and then he's out there, and for some for some reason, I don't know why the Steelers coaches, that's another thing that kind of annoyed me. They were instigators, too. Joey Porter's on the field. He should be MVP of the game. I mean, yeah. he got a 15-yard penalty of, on Pac-Man Jones, which took a 50-yard field goal in the driving rain and turned it into a 35-yard chip shot. You know, game, set, match, waiter, check, please, and the Bengals yeah, are going home. Outstanding. By the way, uh, Pac-Man has made a video. Uh, about that, in which he gives his commentary on it, and it's ugly. I'm going to have to send that one to you, but a whole lot of F-bombs. He tells you what, what Porter said to him? No, but he does give his opinion on how that whole thing went down. Not very happy with Porter, obviously. Not happy at all with the referees. And uh, he manages to call Joey Porter Jerry Porter. So, um Pac-Man, Ed. Well, you you and I usually agree on coaching stability, but I have a feeling we're going to part ways on this one. See, I, at some point, I think the Bengals might be stuck in, in place right now with Marvin Lewis. He may just be a guy who's gotten them as far as they're going to go. Now, do I have a better solution off the top of my head? Not necessarily. Adam Gates? Wait, yeah, I mean, <laughs> after, the Dolphins, after the Dolphins fire him, you can go coach the Bengals, right? Sure, he'll um, be available in two years, I believe. Well, my yeah, bad. Well, yeah, you, or, or less. But, you know, um, the thing with Lewis, I just feel like maybe they're at a place where, you know, that's about as far as he can take them. He can make them a very respectable team that can win a division title every couple of years. And, you know, you know Baltimore and Pittsburgh, you're, they basically trade the division title every so many years. And maybe that's it because I, he just doesn't seem like that's a point in a game to me where the coach is everything. Right. I, I just never expect to see a Bill Belichick team melt down like that, and I probably won't. Uh, look, you might have a point there. Okay, I, I'm not going to discount any of that at all. Uh, this shows a total lack of discipline. There, you got players going off on their on their you know on a personal mission, and this is happening in a playoff game when it's do or die, you know, lose or go home. So maybe you take a perfect off the field if he can't refocus himself. Um, I think a little bit that might have played a little bit into what went on with Tom Coughlin, uh, the fact that he couldn't reel in Odell Beckham in that very key game against Carolina. And then ultimately, you know, you end up you end up out of the playoffs. So you got to have control of your team. There have to be consequences for guys. And then, you know, when you get into this thing of – 
hand-holding uh, a popular player, a well-known player, then you know what? It could end up costing you your job. But according to the Cincinnati Brass, Marvin Lewis will be back next year. The same result probably, though, will will cost him his job. Uh, I mean, Lovey Smith got fired for a whole lot less. So he's going to need to take the next step, I think, next year, or or we will see the end of the and I And, you know, I kind of feel that way a little bit, you know, about Tomlin. I don't think he has a great control of his team. You know, he most of his success in Pittsburgh, if you really look at it, success by Pittsburgh standards, mm-hmm. came in his first three years in the job. He got two, 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 uh, two AFC titles and a Super Bowl. The last five yeah. years, I looked him up. Now, not that this is a bad record. He's 49-31, and 31, mm-hmm. and yesterday was his first playoff win over the last five seasons. You know what Lovey Smith's record was his last five years in Chicago? 45-35 and 35 with one playoff win. Yeah, uh, you would think he'd have – well, listen, Tomlin has money in the bank, and he's also a highly respected guy. So he hasn't, you know, closed – You've got a Hall of Fame quarterback, too. I mean, usually with a Hall of Fame quarterback, you would expect a little bit more in terms of maybe, you know, I'm not saying you should win the multiple Super Bowls, but I, but I would think with a Hall of Fame quarterback, you'd have some deep playoff runs in the last five years. Well, he's also been injured quite 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 often, too. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a pass because, you know, Ben keeps missing games for various reasons. And then, you know, you lose Le'Veon Bell, this year, who was a yeah? That's no. Listen, the, so I'm got, not suggesting the Steelers fire. I'm not suggesting they fire Mike Tomlin, but sometimes he says stuff in press conferences that make me shake my head and almost think like he's. I know he's only 43 years old. I almost think he wants to be the players' buddies. I mean, he's a good motivator. X's and O's. I'm not putting him at the top of the league, um, but he says stuff like after that game. Well, that's just tough football. You know, just, I mean, come on, man. You got to. To me, it's like. Talk to your team and say, next time you're stupid like that, we might be out of the playoffs. I mean, <laughs> eh, I don't know. I don't know if I share that. That's just their identity. That's Pittsburgh. That's what they've always I guess. done. The Bengals, I don't know what they're doing. They're out of their No, home. the Bengals are the Bengals are one of those teams that I just think they're almost, and we'll get to this next game soon, they're almost cursed. They're almost like the Vikings. I think the Vikings franchise just has a curse over it. I do. Man, we could really talk about it. As a matter of fact, let's just jump into that. Amol, that is, uh, I was watching that game. I was awake for that one. So, I'm home watching the game. Uh, my youngest, Marco, and I are watching this football game. And, you know, uh, I'm a closet Seahawks fan. He's an admitted Seahawks fan. So, we're watching this, and they're driving the ball down. Suddenly, stuff that hadn't been happening is happening. Kyle Rudolph is catching passes on Cam Chancellor, and that hadn't been happening all day. Like, Rudolph was missing for the entire game. But here he is with, um, you know, a pass interference penalty and, and then a, then a catch, and they're driving down in the field goal range. And then eventually they get it to where it's a damn chip shot. And we're both sitting there like, man, wow, Seattle's going to be out of this whole thing. Um, and this is a game they should have won. And here we are, they're lining up for a chip shot field goal. And Blair, Wal- Blair Walsh, people, is a good kicker. This is a good NFL kicker. And... I don't know. I mean, we can call it the laces, but from that distance, I don't know how much. Hey, Blair Walsh said it after the game. I mean, to his credit, he stood there and took the arrows and said, you know what, I don't care if the guy puts a watermelon down. That was his quote. He goes, from that distance, I should kick it through. Yeah, I don't know what. Maybe it's pressure really does bust the pipe, but God, I mean, it didn't skim the goalpost. It didn't narrow. You never golfed, did you? Uh. 
not not enough. I have just not enough. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to tell you, when I was, I mean, I've, I've really problem. stopped playing. It's, it's, it's odd. I stopped playing as I got older, but I, I played from when I was four. I mean, I was, you know, a, you know, all-league golfer in high school. You know, my father played his whole life and was like, a, you know, when he's older, a six-day-a-week guy. So he loved the sport. Kicking is a lot like golf, and the only way I could describe it to you is when you get tight and you're in a pressure situation, if you hang on to that club as you're coming through, it's it's called a snap hook or a duck hook. You just you, you just snap it. I mean, you know, basically you don't let the club head go out toward the target and you just snap it inside and the the ball goes just like his field goal did. And that's kind of what I think kickers have happen with their leg. Instead of throwing that leg out toward the goalpost, they get tight, the pressure hits them and they they yank it to the left and you see that usually that to me is a sign that the guy kind of choked it. If he pushes it right, it just, you know, usually if they have the distance, they just mishit it. But that was like one, I think he kind of choked it. But I will say this, where fans annoy me, I understand the disappointment. And, yes, he should make that kick. But he saved the holder earlier in the game because those conditions were horrible. He made a 45-yard field goal where that holder had the laces in. And you know playing football from the time you're little, when a guy's going to kick a ball, what do they always tell you? Laces out, right? Laces out, always, always laces out. So, I mean, to have laces done that out. twice, you know, you need to have a talk with the holder for crying out loud. You got to wait the first time, and then the second time, you know, you, at the very least, you provided an excuse as to why this might have happened, and the reason was you. But let's talking real quick about the rest of the game. Tough. Uh, listen, zero degrees at kickoff. It turns into one of those kind of games. For the Seahawks, they're going to need to come. Uh, much better next week when they take on the Carolina Panthers, because I, I believe that's where they are going to be headed, correct? They're taking on Carolina. They're playing Carolina. Uh, I don't want to overreact to one game because I think Seattle is one of those teams that, you know, they're, they're kind of funky. The weather was bad yesterday. They got, listen, you said they should have won, and I, and I was with you rooting for them. But I'm going to say this, you know, they had a lot of fortuitous things happen for them in that game to to get to the point where they were leading. I mean, first of all, sure, the, the touchdown play to lock. Oh, the Russell Wilson play was like, you know, something out of a movie or something like, you know, Hollywood over his head, he picks the ball up on the run and happens to find a guy standing wide open at the 20 yard line. I mean, let's flash back to their Green Bay playoff win last year. I mean, these things just happen for the Seahawks for some reason. Well, karma kind of, you know, you know me, I'm a big believer in over the long haul, these things even out, because they lost the Super Bowl last year that many would say, geez, they were on the one-yard line first down. They probably should have won. But then, as I always like to say, that kind of evens out because, as you just pointed out, they probably shouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl last year. Right. Right, and then you know they lost on uh, you know under fuzzy circumstances. So yeah, maybe it evens out. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the game next week. Um, we don't need to talk much about Kansas City and Houston. It's one of two things there. Houston just really, really didn't belong. Houston really needs to find a quarterback. I like Brian Hoyer when he was in Cleveland because it was Cleveland, and they, you know stuff tends to look better there in Cleveland. Um, doesn't look good in Houston. So the Houston game, believe it or not, made me feel really good about when we get to the picks, my Packer pick yesterday, because the two things I noticed with Houston and Washington is this. People were, were not we, we didn't factor in you and I failed to do this the first game. We should have factored in with Houston. The AFC South was the worst division of football and the NFC East was right there with it. Right. So we, you know, we kind of looked at, well, look at how Houston's playing. But you got to also factor in again, this is a learning thing. 
They played nobody. So when they got in there against the team, they surely looked like they didn't belong. I mean, that may have been the worst display of NFL quarterbacking that I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, pretty horrible. One-hopping out routes, uh, and you can't do that in playoff football. So, I don't know. That might bite Kansas City in the rear end. It might bite Green Bay in the rear end that you took on the guys that didn't take on anyone, and you blew them out. So maybe your head's not screwed on the way it needs to be in your next round of playoff. But Kansas City continues. What's that? Their 10th win in a row? So uh, 11. They were 1-5. They're now 12-5. and five. So they've got a ball of steam. Uh, where are they next week? They're at New England. They're at New England. That's going to be interesting because the Patriots were a little sketchy going down the road. But this is their time of year, so... Uh, if I'm New know, England, I don't want to see Kansas. For me, if I'm looking at the AFC field, that's probably the worst matchup they could get. Because think about it. You're a defensive coordinator now. You're the Kansas City Chiefs. They can't block your front four. Or they shouldn't be able to on paper. Okay, Houston and, and Ali should be in that backfield a large chunk of the day. They've got no one on the outside that you know is going to scare the, the, the Chiefs' corners, and the Chiefs' corners love to play press coverage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I mean, think, I think for both of the teams that had buys in the AFC, they drew the worst matchups. Um, that's not a good matchup for Denver because Denver, you know, Denver has that whole deal. Assuming Big Ben's good to go. Um, that's not a good matchup for Denver because you know you got you got a Pittsburgh team that that's just going to barring you know cold windy rain like you had against Cincinnati they're going to move the football and they're going to score points and you're just well, not we say team. that we say that but the Steelers last three games of the year they did not play that way they struggled they lost to the Ravens they had trouble moving against that horrific defense the the Cleveland game they scored some fourth quarter points turn them over a little bit, but they, they struggle a large chunk of that game moving the ball. And really, Saturday night, they didn't, you know, they, they put up 18 points, and, and the last the three were gifted to them. In those three games you just named. Oh, the, the division <laughs> opponent, absolutely. Uh, and absolutely parity there. So, uh, Denver I, played them earlier this year, though, don't forget. So Denver got a look at that. And, you know, obviously Big Ben is going to play, in my opinion. I mean, I don't care what they say. If they have to tape his arm on him, he's going to play. But he did have, I, I believe, what's been called a grade, you know, a, a, a separation. You know, not the kind that could knock you out for six weeks, but certainly there's an issue there. So who knows what his arms like? I mean, I, I, see, I have more confidence in this at this point in Denver than I do New England. Mm. Well, it certainly makes for an interesting matchup. I mean, remember when we weren't so sure about how much fun the playoffs were going to be, and here we are. It looks like we've got some. Pretty good matchups here and stuff that, you know, people are going to want to go and see. Um, so I think we've run a route there on, on, uh, on you know, recapping the playoffs. Just for me, on my picks, I had uh, Houston. We all know what happened there. I took a loss on that. Cincinnati plus three. So by the smallest of margins, I was able to get a win there. And then Seattle minus five obviously didn't come through. So I ended up one and two, making my record 29 and 26. On the season. No, that's college. You're 21 and 30 in, in the overall, pros. Come on, overall. don't cheat. Overall, <laughs> chill out. Um, and so, what am I, 21 and 30, you said? Yes, in the pros. In college, you're 28 and 24. We'll get to that later. 21 and 30. Well, we don't need to get to the to the colleges. We've already 
recap that? We'll be given a pick. No, I mean, we'll get to it later when we pick the championship game. Now, uh, my picks were simple, real quick. I have Houston like Chad. I have Seattle like Chad. So I took two losses there. My lone winner was the Green Bay Packers. I, You know, I just, for some reason, as bad as they played, I kind of felt like the Redskins were not ready for prime time. I think people are, you know, as I like to say, they're they're out over their skis a little bit with Kirk Cousins. I mean, do I think he's better than what they had? Sure, they were in the playoffs. Would I pay that guy a ton of dough? If it was me, I'd probably franchise him for a year, pay him well for a year, and let's see if he can repeat this year because I saw him staring down a lot of receivers in that game yesterday. Well, but clearly, um, they made the right decision going with him over RG3. Can we, can absolutely, we? but what I'm saying is this guy is going to be up for one of these, you know, remember when Scott Mitchell came to Miami from Detroit? Uh, <laughs> or, to, or should I say went to Detroit from Miami? And got all the money. I'm just wondering, is you know, is Cousins the beneficiary of a weak division this year? And yes, he played better than he did previously. But I'm not sure he's worth huge money over a long amount of time. I'd like to see him do it again before I can hey, it. Hey, the- question for you, Cowboys fan. If 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 one of these two were, did you just know one of these two is coming to Dallas? Which one is it that you want? Is it RG3 or is it Johnny Manziel? I want RG3. He's a he's a he's a respectable kid. Um. From everything I've heard, very intelligent. I think you can talk to him. I think you can coach him up. I think he can be fixed. Um, I think Manziel might be one of these guys that just doesn't get it. You know, he's young, so maybe he'll change, and I'll be wrong. But I, I just see that not being good. Do you see any of his behavior that he just wants out of Cleveland? Looks like he does. Well, at the end it was, but not the beginning. I mean, he I don't think he started off being a whack job saying, I want to get out of there from the beginning. I think well, once he realized he was no longer the golden boy there, he wanted back to Dallas, but I'm not, you know, I'm looking at what he's good at, Chad, and I'm not so sure, even though he played better this year, I'm not so sure his skill set fits what Dallas's offense does. That That's kind of the question I have. Everybody's saying he's going to Dallas. Well, is Dallas changing their offense? Because if he's your backup quarterback for a couple of years, his game really isn't the same as even though people like to think Romo runs around. Romo runs around in the pocket to buy time. He doesn't run to run. I mean, True. Romo can make every NFL throw. I mean, he's Manziel does not possess the arm strength that Romo does. Uh, you know, well, the field his vision. Who's his offense in the NFL? Pardon? Who is Johnny Manziel's offense in the National Football League? Uh, who would it be? Yeah. Hmm. New Orleans? Well, I, 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 who would it fit? Who could coach him? I'm trying to think of where it might fit more. Um, I'm going to ask a really tough question. That is a tough question because he, he's he, he's a college-type quarterback still. He's running around. He, you know, he's small. I mean, he's going to get hit. I'm worried he's not going to st- – I don't know where you'd put him. I mean, frankly, right, I – got- What's your record in the NFL? Oh, mine, 21 and 31. You, you got me by a half game, so don't be too excited. Yeah, it's been that kind of year. I'm not. I'm, who I'm do not you want? Play. If you if you wait, let me ask you before we go to break. Who, who would you want if you were a Cowboys fan out of those two? Well, neither one of them are playing. If I'm thinking like an owner, and I'm the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, maybe Johnny Manziel. He might um, put some more behinds in the seats. Um, no, think like a coach. He's going to be I'm your backup like quarterback. Coach, you know what? Tony Romo got hurt this year. That means my backup's going to play. Give me RG3. I'll work with that and do all I can to adapt him to the NFL game because he he just didn't get that in Washington. He didn't get it. 
Um, and he wanted to be an athlete playing quarterback. And that has worked for only a small few in this league. And um, I would go with RG3, though, having said all that. I, you know, Johnny Manziel's not going to come in here. And, and he's going to create a buzz down there. Don't forget, he's a Texas guy. I mean, he's he's not like he's, he's nobody. He's not, we can admit it won't be quite what it is for Johnny Manziel because people just want to see this guy. Either it's going to be great or it's going to be a train wreck. Either way, he's uh, attractive to – Fans, you know, so they might want to pay. They might they might want to pay a dollar to go see this guy play. But you know, uh, I would go with RG three because I just don't think Johnny Manziel would take my four and four football team if the if the head if the uh, starting quarterback got hurt and take us to the playoffs. Whereas that might happen with an RG three. We might be able to get in the yeah. playoffs uh, at four and four. You know, provided he can, um, like I said, become an NFL quarterback. All right. Nevertheless, we're done with the NFL for now. We've got to. Uh, Move on to there's a big game being played somewhere tonight in college football. We got to talk about that, and uh, we'll break this game down and uh, eventually give you a pick on who we think is going to win the national championship of college football tonight. So stay with us. We'll be right back right after this. Oh, child, oh, child. But I'm piped up. Piped up. See that boy right up. He piped up. Are you a property owner or want to be one, but you don't have time for property management? Then get an MVP on your team. Who has time for the letting process, for arranging inventories and organizing pre-tenancy cleaning, dealing with deposit negotiation and negotiating with service suppliers and maintenance? No one's got time for that. MVP does, though. Get this MVP on your team. You can rely on MVP Property Management to offer you an extreme amount of quality and professional services for your money. And because they know that everyone is different, they pride themselves in providing a professionalized service to each and every one of their clients. So how do you get this MVP on your team? It's simple. Pick up the phone and call right now. 844-696-8722. That's 844-MY-MVP-CC. Or send an email to info at mymvp.cc. Get this MVP on your team and start winning today. The uh, wild, wild NFL wild card weekend. We're going to slide on over to college football now and talk about this big game tonight. It's Clemson. It's Alabama. Amel, before we get into this matchup, did the college football committee get this thing right? Is this is this what we are? These the two best teams in college football this year playing in the final game? I'd have to say, you know, based on an entire body of work, you know, I mean. I, I feel like, you know, when these guys are a little bit older at Ohio State this year, they may regret the way they handled themselves this year in general. I thought that team could certainly, talent-wise, be in the discussion with these two. I mean, I think Ohio State had the roster to play with these two guys. But, you know, they Who just didn't handle had their had business. Pardon? Of these two teams remaining, who would have Ohio State have had a better chance of beating? 
I think Ohio State matches up just like they did last year. I think they match up very well um, with Alabama because mm-hmm. because of the, the line play. I think they can give them, you know, I think they can give them a battle in the trenches, and then I think they have the speed uh, on the edge just to make Alabama play in some space. So, so I would probably reluctantly say I think Ohio State can play with anyone. I just think they went into this season not caring about the regular season. Probably yeah. played a few. They hung on their way through that. They, they hung on their way through it. They played a team like Indiana down to the wire in Indiana, you know. And I know Indiana played some close games at home, but come on, man. You look at Ohio State's roster and Indiana's roster, no way. And then they go play a Michigan State team that I think they have a lot more talent than, and they lose the game. Um, sure. So unfortunately, that's the way it works. Yeah, by and large, it seems that uh, that's the the biggest disappointment of this season is that Ohio State couldn't get their act together enough as talented as they were to make them, you know, make their way into this final four and possibly into this championship game. But, well, let's deal with the two teams that are in this final one. It's Clemson taking on Alabama. I've been uh, back and forth and all over the place with this one in terms of uh, which way I want to go. I would say this line is probably perfectly placed, Emil, at seven. It's like not, it's not outrageous. Um, it no, will be no. for Clemson because, you know, you are the undefeated team. You are the number one seed, and here you are again being disrespected. Um, I guess I'm going to lay my cards out on the table and make a pick here first, if you don't mind. Um, I think, go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, you know, where I missed out in this bowl season was not adequately gauging the emotions involved in uh, some of the matchups, and that was, you know, to my – you know, unfortunate chagrin, I guess we could use that term. And it cost me as I went to an eight in the bowl season. So I'm going to avoid that mistake here and say to myself, um, while Alabama seems like a team of destiny, Clemson really seems like a team highly and extremely motivated. Um, and, and they've been motivated by the fact that they – have not been respected all season long. And you remember some of the comments made by Dabo Swinney after their win over Oklahoma, how they were the, you know, underdog in this game. And, you know, they've been, they're the undefeated football team. Here they are going, you're 14 and 0, going for 15 and 0. Why are we undefeated in this game against Oklahoma? But here they are again. And I think it sets up a very easy uh, motivational, you know, task for Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson guys is something that could really unite them and bring them together. So while I might want to purely look at things on the field and say, man, I watched Dalvin Cook run that football against Clemson's defense, which people give a lot of credit to. And numbers-wise, they did, you know, some very good things this year. Um, and so it would, I would be afraid, can they tackle Derrick Henry? Will he just get wild and go loose? I just There's a feeling inside me that says Clemson is going to be so so motivated, so full of piss and vinegar, so much the team that prepared for this game and turned over every rock, every leaf, dotted every I, crossed every T, that they're going to they're gonna somehow have themselves ready for the whole Derrick Henry thing. And then out on the edges, they have you know, a very great secondary, two corners that can cover, one real All-American. So if you need him to go follow Calvin Ridley around the real you know big threat they have offensively, he can do that. And they can kind of hold things down together. And then on the offensive side, you know, they've got enough weapons that they can, you know, take some 
take some shots against Alabama, have some success, and I think Clemson can come with a good enough game plan and they will have enough piss and vinegar in them that they can, if not win this game, we can probably make this one of the better championship games that we've had and something that comes down to the wire. And if I'm saying that, then I like them as a seven-point underdog in this game. We'll get further into breaking this thing down numbers-wise, statistically, but I just think, for me, uh, emotionally, I think Clemson has an edge with this line set at seven in favor of Alabama. Um, Um, This game feels eerily similar to the USC-Texas game to me. Uh, I think a lot uh, of people lot in the media, media want to have a coordination for Alabama, Alabama and they want to, you know, do you know, one of the great dynasties. This will be their fourth championship in, what, what six years, six seven years? Um, um, and I think what I you think just said nails it on the head. I think Clemson is, is going to spoil that party tonight. I really do. I think they up front are uh, athletic enough, big enough, strong enough to match up with Alabama at, at the line of scrimmage. And I think they have a huge advantage, which is being underplayed at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, yeah, I like I like the quarterback. I mean, I'm not thrilled with the coaching matchup. I think obviously Saban has an advantage over Sweeney, but I, I think they've got enough athletes and, like you said, motivation that this is going to be a tight ball game. And, and frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if they win it outright. I just have a feeling this is Clemson's year. Uh, they're on a mission. Dabo Sweeney said it after the Oklahoma game. You know, we feel disrespected all year, and I think that's. I think that's true. I don't think that's just coach speak. I think they genuinely feel that they've been disrespected, and I think that'll show tonight with the way they play. I'm going to say, I don't know, 27-24 Clemson. Yeah, I was thinking 24-21, something like that, Uh, maybe even 21-17. Just for some – with all that said, I just feel like it – maybe at the end of the game, that coaching thing that you talked about comes into play. I mean, how many games have we seen this year, both at the college and NFL level, where it came down to some decisions made in those final? I mean, how prophetic was Tony Romo early in that year talking about, you know, what these games come down to? And it's the final, I believe he said eight minutes in the NFL, which, you know, it might be even less than that in college football. But that's really what it, where it's at. Those final few minutes when you've got a titanic matchup like that is where the game is won and lost, and that has to do with the coaching. So, but part of me says at the end, the coaching matchup will fall on the side of, you know, Nick Saban and the staff that he's been able to put together. But not to, I don't think it will rise to the level of winning by more than seven points. I think it's going to come down to uh, some guy barefooted out there on the field. That's just my yeah, Well, let me ask you about this. You mentioned um, Dalvin Gill, but don't you think, I mean, he's obviously a different type of running back than Henry? True, but let me tell you something. What he ran through were gaping holes. So it could have been Dalvin Cook. It could be Derrick Henry. It could be Amo Calamino. You were going to get 10 yards on those holes he ran through. And that's what was most disturbing to me. It'd be one thing if I saw, and I get what you're saying, if I saw Dalvin Cook go in there and shake someone or use some speed and got around someone. But that what that's not even what it was. It was a gaping hole that he ran through, and there was no one in the secondary, and he just took off running. So that's what scared me. And then I watched Oklahoma early in the game um, have their have their way with Clemson running the football. But I just feel like emotionally uh, the players will be motivated. But what people really don't look into a whole lot, too, is when a coaching staff feels disrespected, guys will do that extra stuff. They'll watch that extra game film. They'll go watch a game film of Alabama against 
um, you know, the FCS team that they played and go find something. You just, I've, I've been on both ends of this. I've been the player and then I've been a coach trying to get ready for a game. And when you feel disrespected, man, you go, it's like, it's like a, it's like look at like a detective that really, really wants to solve a crime and he chases down a lead that he probably wouldn't even follow. It was from some homeless dude with a tooth that was singing a song that gave you a riddle. And normally you just ignore it, but you really, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to follow this lead and, and lead you to the killer. You know what I mean? Well, do that as a coach, and we can't underestimate that factor. Yeah, and I think the other thing, you know, you just pointed to me in the pro football discussion that you have to be careful of is Florida State plays Clemson every year. So there may be a little bit of familiarity there where they were able to exploit some things that they knew from previous matchups that maybe Alabama won't have the benefit of. Is in, you know, was really in Clemson's head. They really had like a mind control over Clemson, which, you know what, maybe we do need to give Clemson some credit for overcoming that mind control to actually win the game. Because think about what happened. Florida, there was a big matchup a couple of years ago, and Jameis Winston and the boys came in there and totally and completely slapped those guys around. And then the following year, Jameis got himself suspended, and against a backup quarterback, you couldn't even beat Florida State. So, you know, Florida State had mind control, and Clemson was good enough to overcome that and win the game. So that's that's one way to look at it. Yeah, for yeah. everything you're saying, for everything you're saying about that, Florida State at the end of the day ended up with 13 points. Sure, sure. Uh, but you did, and the game. you know, at the end and of the at the, the end of the game, you know, Clemson yeah. rolled up 500 yards in that game and held Florida State to 13 points. And in the Oklahoma game, I think you gotta you gotta watch analyzing that game and their running early against Clemson because they're a different animal because of what the Oklahoma quarterback can do with the, with his legs as well. You, that's sure. a different type of running game than what Alabama. Alabama is just you know, I mean, they're gonna line up, they're coming at you, and can you stop it? I mean, that, that, that's it. Right. And, and I, I, you know, it has seemed to me like that has given Clemson a bit of a problem. And it's not something they get to see in that ACC conference that they're in. So um, they better be ready for that somehow, some kind of way. But, um, again, I'm going to lean heavily on that motivation, both of the coaches and of the players, in that it would keep them in this game tonight and possibly give them a chance to win it. That's that's just the route that I'm going. Maybe I'm overcompensating for the shortcomings I had picking games in this bowl season. We'll have to see on that. But, well, and we've uh, also talked about this in other shows. You know, like I always use the term SEC-style athletes. And in certain mm-hmm. schools, you know, Florida State, Ohio State, when USC's got it going good, I mean, those are schools that in other conferences, Texas, when they've got it going good, they'll have – SEC-style athletes, and I think Clemson this year, we'll see if that continues into the future, but this year I think they have athletes on the lines that Mm -hmm. that are of that caliber. Now, will Mm -hmm. they play like that tonight? I don't know. I think they will, but I can't say until, like you said, until we see it, but I think they have the ability to hold up with Alabama, to to, to stand there and, and slug it out with them a little bit. If you're a super motivated coaching staff like Clemson, I believe, is, maybe you really watched the heck out of that Ohio State matchup last year in the college football playoff against Alabama because if you're Clemson, you have that kind of team. You have that kind of team uh, that Ohio State has. You know, it's not the it's not the exact same scheme offensively, but you have those type of athletes and maybe you can implement a couple of things there that had some success against Alabama and find some weaknesses there. 
to that defense, which has been lights out all year long, that you can exploit and, um, you know, get yourself set up with some really good situations tonight. I just really think that um, Clemson's going to be so motivated that they're in this thing all the way. I can tell you what, though, as a coach, I am really looking forward to the coordinator matchups that we're going to have in this in this contest. Uh, Lane Kiffin matching up against Brent Venables. I, you know, I can't wait to see that, what Kiffin comes up with. And, and then the same thing on the other side, looking at that matchup. I, I, I'm just looking forward to the game plans early on to see um, what they're trying to exploit. And then the big thing for both of these teams is what happens that first series out of halftime. Well, yeah, but one thing I'm making my pick, one thing I'm going to be concerned about, I have to admit to you, you know, to me the first quarter of this game is going to be key. I mean, if Alabama, they've been there before. I mean, if if they fall behind 7 nothing, it's no big deal. They'll keep playing. I just don't want to see Clemson fall behind 10 or 14 nothing early because I think then it could snowball on them. It could be one of those situations where you yeah, know, you they just – You start muffing the punt. Um, you know, you start doing silly things. Stupid stuff starts happening, and you just don't want to see that. I will say this, though. Uh, if Clemson falls behind 10 nothing, I have a little bit more faith – let me say a lot more faith that they could come back and get in the football game than the Michigan State falling behind 10 nothing. Once that started to happen. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Because, first of all, just because of what they have – just because of what they have outside in that quarterback, sure, they get back in the game. But you know the problem with, with trying to get back in one of those games against Alabama is that defense, man, when they can start pinning their ears back and, and really going after you, if you become one-dimensional. I mean, if it's early and Clemson stays with their running game, doesn't get outside themselves, continues to do what Clemson does, sure, they could get back in the game because they have the speed and talent. But if they start just saying, we're going to throw it every play, that it could just be one of those where it just gets out of control. But I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. I'm just saying that that's my concern. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I'm still horrified at, and I don't know what the game plan is going to be, but I am horrified by uh, Clemson's rush defense. I'm not going to lie. 142 given up to North Carolina, 181 to South Carolina, 242 given up to Syracuse. And when you sit here and look at the ledger for Alabama, no one could sniff 100 yards in total against these guys. So as this game starts, that's going to be, in terms of looking at this pick, that's going to be my biggest worry is Clemson's rush defense, and they've uh, they've got to come up with something. They've got to come up Let with something. Let me ask you this. If you're a coach, especially early in the game, when, when you're in that feeling out process like a heavyweight fight, do you do you commit, you know, extra oh, yeah. guy to the box? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Let me see if you could beat my, you know, my All-American uh, Mackenzie Alexander with Calvin Ridley. I need to know that right now because I'm going to take care of this big beast and um, try and get him wrapped up. But just the whole thing with dealing with Alabama is, okay, you stopped them in the first quarter and second quarter. They're going to keep running him. You're going to keep having to tackle him. And we're going to find out if you want to do this for 60 minutes long. Because, you know, I watched Florida have some, you know, live and in color, watch them have some success stopping Derrick Henry. Uh, those first two and a half, three quarters. But after a while, you know, going head to head with a 250 pound guy who continues to come at you, you get tired, man. You get tired. Yeah, but that was a mental thing, too, as much as, you know, Florida knew they weren't going to score that game. I mean, they scored on a, what, a punt return? 
I just think you get worn down mentally when your offense isn't giving you anything, any reason to hope, any reason to, you know, it just, it gets, it gets very tiring having a man that size run you over for nothing because you realize, you know, when the offense gets the ball, they're going nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I do think you you have a, you have a valid point optimally for Clemson early in that game. You got to see if, if, if the Alabama quarterback can make the throws he made in the Michigan state game, because he, he played out of his mind. That was, probably one of the better games I've seen him play. Um, I've got to find out, like you said, can can he find Ridley against that secondary? And if I'm Clemson, I, you know, I'm I'm definitely willing to give up a long touchdown early if I have to to make sure that I get that answer because I don't want Henry grinding out five and six yards, going on 12-play, six-minute touchdown drives. No, that's, that's bad that, that's, if you're Clemson because your game's over. They do that. They do a couple of those in the first quarter, the first half. Um, it's over for you. It's not going to be a good day. No. I think I think that's really going to, you know, the early part of the game, that's something you want to see. But, you know, Lane Kiffin's the type of guy that might not come out and pound it right down your face. He might get into that whole, um, you know, quick screen and jet sweep deal that he does. I've noticed that in, the, in, in you know, some of these games late in the season. That's been his M.O. If he sees you packing it up in there inside, he's going to work the whole, um, <clears throat> the whole you know, horizontal side of the uh, playbook. So it's going to be those quick screens. It's going to be the jet sweeps. It's going to be everything to start saying, man, you know what, we're going to have to start removing some of these linebackers out of the box, spread them out a little bit, and then that's when you get a face full of Derrick Henry now working against left guys in there who uh, are going to tire quickly, banging shoulders and headgear into into this monstrosity. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sometimes, though, Kiffin can be his own worst enemy. He's got a desire to sometimes be the smartest guy in the room. So that, that could yeah, work against him here. That in this big moment, because um, has, has, has Lane, uh, he did coordinate the national championship teams for Pete Carroll. Am I, am I correct on that? Yes, yes. Did he win a championship as a coordinator? Uh, I believe he did, yeah. And then he, yeah, before he exactly. left for the, for the Raider you know, job, if, yeah. If he did, it's been a while since he's been in this, and he might want to make it all about him. And if that is the case, then that's going to be a problem for Alabama. That's something to consider there. Like, hey, I need to put this out there. I'm an offensive genius. And then you start calling some stupid stuff, and you go away from what it is that has, you know, Lay the pavement down. But here's the difference, I think, is that a guy like Saban will turn around and say, enough. Enough. Um, Yeah, he will jerk his chain over there. And if that happens, uh, wouldn't that be some, you know, must-see TV stuff that goes on there? I'm sure they will be a camera firmly planted on the sidelines of uh, Alabama. You know, actually both sides because, you know, Dabo is – just that kind of guy you want to get on video. But I'm sure they're going to be following the whole Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban dynamic, especially if Alabama starts having some offensive troubles. Cameras will be there looking to catch some interaction between those two. So, you know, stay tuned to that. But See, now um, you got yeah. me all excited to watch the game. You see well, that's 20 our job, minutes right? of talking about it. Our job is to help whoever is airing this game tonight to get more paid than we are. Isn't that what we're here to do? Yeah. Right. That's what we're here for, just for them. Outside of Clemson's um, perhaps inability to stop the run the way they need to, anything else that would make you nervous about taking Clemson tonight? No, because like no. I said, I feel that I feel the quarterback position is very solid, and it's it's a big advantage for them. And in these type of games, 
more more, more so more. than even regular games in these big games. I really like when I have an advantage at quarterback because things can go haywire real quick. And, you know, the, the kid from Alabama, if somehow they were able to take Henry away and put more of this game on his shoulders than he's used to, you know, does, does he throw a couple picks? Does he give Clemson a short field? I mean, that's to me, I, I feel like that advantage is what's making me forget about Clemson's run defense. He's matured here in this season, especially in these final few ball games. Um, and when we're starting with the starting with the Iron Bowl and moving its way through the SEC championship game and into that first college football playoff game, he's uh, gone above and beyond and has really matured in this offense. Maybe that is what he is at this point. It's not an anomaly. No, no, I think no. I think he's he's shown himself to be a very good quarterback, good leader. Uh, he can hurt you with his legs. He can, he's a good passer. Um, you know, he's just got to make good decisions here. No, you know, you, 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 it's obvious you don't want to give Alabama a short field if they're going to run the ball down your throat. Make them go seventy and eighty yards and not forty. So, ball security is going to be a key. Oh, no doubt. And if you're talking ball security over the last five football games, you know how many turnovers. The uh, Alabama Crimson Tide have had in their last five football games? As an offense? Yes, as an offense. I'm going to say one. Two, which is outstanding. And it really stems a lot from you being able to to rush the football the way that you want to. Uh, That's not the case for Clemson, who takes more chances in their offense. They have 12 turnovers over the last five football games. Just a little something to make you more nervous. Well, and again, that's that's, that's not going to be – listen, if they if they give it up two or three times in this game, I'll be surprised if they win. I mean, it would be shocking to me if Clemson turns it over, you know, two, three times, and you, and we're talking about this on Friday as what a game they won. You know, I I don't see that. They're going to have to play clean. over three times, Emil, they're losing the football game, unless the other team also turns it over three times. But – um, whoever turns this ball over three times in this football game, if that happens tonight, will be your loser. That's almost a given. You're not going to turn the ball over Clemson to Alabama. You're not going to give them three extra possessions and beat Alabama. It's just not going to happen. Right, and right, right. The way Clemson's able to do things on offense, if you're going to give them three extra possessions, they'll start fan- they'll start finding guys open. And you know what? I don't know how much we're not giving enough credit to Clemson's running back, uh, Gardner. He can, he, he can certainly – um, find his way around and you know get some get some room against Alabama because he is a different kind of running back. He's not one of these backs that's going to try and slam into the line where you're just that's a brick wall you're running into against Alabama. He's a he's a shifty guy that has the speed who can get outside of an edge if it can get sealed and cause some damage. Oh yeah, really good speed. I mean, first of all, you know my game plan if I'm Clemson, you you pointed out pulling out the Ohio State tape. I mean, I'm using this quarterback, you know, on some bootlegs early, some waggles, things that just make Alabama, you know, defend more than a stationary target in the pocket as they were able to do with Michigan State. You know, they knew where his drop point was, and it's like, hey, let's go meet at the quarterback. I mean, I, I want to take that away from them really early and get in their heads that, you know, you're going to defend the whole field for 60 minutes, you know, against us. Because sure. this kid can do that to them. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So I think, you know, I asked you in the outset, did college football get this thing right? And are these two best teams at the end of the year? Uh, And, I, you know, I hear you on the Ohio State thing, and I agree with you. I really think it would have been nice to have them in this thing. But at the end of the day, here's Clemson going for a 15-0. I did say all that stuff about the ACC, but the truth of the matter is 
They did play. Uh, North Carolina was a good football team, despite what they ended up, the crap that they did in the uh, in the in the bowl game. Uh, they were a good football team that they handled rather nicely. They did overcome the whole mind game that they have with Florida State. Um, they did come down here and get Al Golden fired, and for that alone, I think they have fans down here in South Florida. So they made their way through that schedule, um, and uh, they're. They're one of the two best teams in college football, if you ask me. So they got this right. I want to see something uh, akin to the, the uh, USC-Texas matchup that we had. I'm sorry to have to reference that, but it was one of the best you know, championship games we've had in our history here. And if we could get something like that, I think everybody wins. Well, I reference that because this game feels like that to me. It feels like there's a lot of talk about Alabama and their legacy and and you know the, the first championship was in 2009, so this is four, this would be four and seven years, and and what a dynasty, and blah blah blah. And that was the same talk of USC. They were going for a third straight championship. No one had ever done it. They basically assumed they would be champions. And then coming into, they didn't, but the media did. Then coming into the game, Texas was undefeated. So was USC. Texas got seven points. That's what this feels like to me. It feels like everybody's kind of forgetting that this Clemson team's a damn good team, and I don't care. Who you're playing? If you're playing in a Power Five conference, Division One football, and you're 14 and 0, you're a very good football team. I don't really give a crap what what conference you're in at that point. Yeah, listening to you talk about this here, this does have uh, a lot of similarities to that 2006 Rose Bowl. So um, another reason for you to get excited. Hey, we've gotten you all jacked up to uh, watch this game tonight. I'm ready for it. Um, if I got to take a nap, I will. Because I'm going to watch this game to the end, but I doubt. <laughs> yeah, Pops, sure, grab yourself a nap, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got my full rest last night. But, I, you know, I think this game is going to keep everyone on the edge of their seat. I'm hoping for that. It's, it looks like this could possibly happen. I don't want a 48-6 blowout. We don't need that in college football. The college football committee doesn't need that. And I don't think that's what we're going to get here. So I'm looking forward to it. And I was happy to break this thing down with you here uh, on the Gridiron Stud Show and doing it for our fans. We did a good job, if I can say so ourselves. Let's hope so. We'll get more listeners and we'll get some callers maybe on Friday talking about this game. So I hope everybody who's listening is going to tune in. I'm assuming if you're listening to a football show, you're at least going to watch the final game of the college season. Yeah, it kind of wouldn't make sense if you would listen to this and not watch the final game unless uh, you work the graveyard shift somewhere and there's no TV. So, um, Look, where our job is done here, we recapped the NFL weekend. We touched on some subjects. We talked about what's on Netflix. How about that? We're wide-ranging around here. We got everything. (laughs) And then we also broke down this very important college football playoff game, championship game tonight between Clemson and Alabama. So I hope you enjoyed your uh, last hour and a half here with us. I'm back on again. We're back on again tomorrow, Emil, because it's uh, Warren Sapp Tuesday. Um, All right to uh, recap what he watched in this game tonight. So we'll have fun with that. So we appreciate you listening. If you enjoy the uh, Gridiron Stud Show, tell a friend the more the merrier. Thank you for listening. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you guys tomorrow.